Okay, well, here's the thing. Like, Stephen Skull has no personality. And so evidently he was friends with the mob, and the mobs wanted to get him into movies. So they basically, like, fronted him, and nobody wanted to fucking work with him. Like, Warner Brothers did a screen test, and were like, get this guy fucking out of here. But then what happened is, like, the mob, like, fronted him for his first two movies, and they were... Uh, like surprisingly successful, like, and nobody actually wanted them to be. So then he kind of became a star, even though that none of the net, like, none of the uh, movie fucking production companies actually wanted to work with him. It was just by chance, like, people were watching his first couple of movies. So it kind of fucked it up and gave us Steven Seagal, unfortunately. Cool. Yeah. Good morning, everyone. This is the movie crew. We are settling in after um, a raucous month of exciting and harrowing, lengthy adventures. Yes, epic. Yeah, uh, Lawrence of Arabia, Days of Heaven, Barry Lin- Barry Lyndon. There we go. That's the guy's name. Barry motherfucking Lyndon. So, what better way to round that out to bring the tempo down than to bring in everyone's favorite? Action hero impersonator Steven Seagal. Um, so, Nicole Ryan, thanks for being here. Um, when's the last time you guys saw Seagal in a professional capacity? Um, what outside of uh, the two movies that we watched? Yeah, um, I grew up with Steven Seagal because uh, my father liked to watch the first, I'd say, first five Steven Seagal movies. Uh, I am familiar with all of them, but I had not actually revisited any of them. However, uh, occasionally he would show up in a fighter's, uh, supporting a UFC fighter. So I would see him uh, on some of my UFC fights from time to time. I mean, that would have to be much later Seagal than the one we're talking about. Yeah, that's the more bloated, uh, more Hillary Clinton attired Seagal. Yeah, that's uh, there are two eras to this man, and um, we explored both. Yeah, at my behest, both in both cases. Well, the, and the, <laughs> the, I mean, it wasn't good to begin with, and it certainly doesn't get better. But it, it is weird because he has there is a touchstone quality to the straight to DVD slash VHS slash television attitude that Seagal has, and it's one that we have not explored on this podcast. No. Um, which is kind of why I wanted to do it, because um, Steven Seagal, as most people out there will know if they aren't so millennialized as to have ignored the decades before when they were born entirely, uh, will know him as a basically like knockoff Bruce Willis in a lot of ways. And the movie we watched, Under Siege, his greatest critical and public success. Most watchable film. Um, well, we could debate that, but in any case, uh, his most successful film is essentially a bad diehard movie. Yeah. Um, it is set up in exactly the same way. It is yet, yet with less, with less magic. I mean, diehard, diehard one. I mean, Ryan, you've been oddly silent up to this moment, but, uh, would you care to inject your opinion of the first diehard movie? It is Ryan's favorite Christmas is, movie, is it, if I remember. My favorite Christmas movie, other than Bad Santa. <laughs> and, it, you know, it is, it's a good movie. I, it's a great I, action movie. But, but, but what you put me through these past couple of days 
is borderline unforgivable. I mean, I guess I had somehow just been able to mercifully forget the trauma of having had prior contact of Steven Seagal in my life. Okay. And this has brought it all back up again, right? Like this is just this has just been a terrible few fucking days for me having had to go through Steven Seagal's early 90s, mid 2000s and late 2010s catalog of films. I had to force myself to go through more of this. This is this was truly Do you have you ever seen this motherfucker run? No, well I want to get seen Steven Seagal no, he, he doesn't even stand face. up anymore. That's the, the brilliant this. part about it. Okay, so Steven Seagal was like, I guess he was a, a keto guy. He started out as a martial arts guy, and I want to make just a note. So is it true that he probably has a black belt in Aikido? Sure, but here's the thing. Aikido's mostly bullshit because, as Joe Rogan <laughs> would tell you, anyone who can uh, do a good double leg on you and get you down on the ground, your Aikido does not work anymore. But Seagal has managed to build his plot armor thicker than any action star ever in the history of action movies to the point where he doesn't even stand up, so you can't even take him down. It is to the point where, having watched about five Steven Seagal movies, I am shocked that anybody at any point in human history has found this man charismatic. I'm trying to... F- no, Charisma- I- no, there's no charisma. Well, there's no charisma. Movies? Like, how does he... How does he convince anyone to sleep with him? How does he... Oh, well, just... uh, he coerces and through sex trafficking. See, this is, this is what I have been totally struck by, which is that, you know, in comparison to Die Hard, right, Bruce Willis has charm, right? He has a kind of self-knowledge of what it takes to be charming, interesting, fascinating, and... A lot of it has to come from a certain sense of vulnerability, right? Like there yeah. has to be some way to, that, so that someone can get into you, mm-hmm. right? Like be a, like literally get into you, right? Like, hey, you're kind of interesting. I'm, I'm into you. Or, hey, you know, you have dropped your guard long enough to allow me to, to get close to you, right? There has to be some way into a person. And the problem with Steven Seagal is that I am not convinced that there is a light on behind the window. I just am not. Like, it is, like, shocking how much of a vacuous, incomprehensibly fucking simple, idiotic, lying, horrible person is there. Like, so, okay, so just to, like, maybe talk about this, right? There is a scene in... Under Siege, and a scene in, what the fuck movie did Contract we Contract to Kill. Contract to Kill. That was like a 2016 straight-to-on-demand film. There, there are two scenes in those movies where Steven Seagal has to lay his hands upon a partially clothed woman. <laughs> and Nicole being our resident member of the fairer sex, me representing the 98% straight male that I am, and David kind of covering all of our bases in between. Mm-hmm. All of us found that shit creepy as fuck, right? Like, oh, it was, like, straight up creepy it was what fucking, was going on in that movie. It was gross. It okay. was just straight up gross. I mean, I'll at least say it was hilariously creepy, but I, <laughs> as the person covering the bases between, and I guess I'll... I'll humbly accept that responsibility. Only um, because I'm so inadequate to do the, so. The, the machinery that leads women into the clutches of Steven Seagal... <laughs> 
is what is meant by toxic masculinity is yeah. what's meant by patriarchy in in the just most banal possible yeah sense. and well and the way that he he i guess because I, I did a little background research on seagal and the way he woos women into uh to quote air quotes work for him is he puts craigslist ads for executive assistants and then he locks them in his house and forces them to give him massages that's amazing yeah in a really bad way. Yeah, yeah. And then and then if any of them escape and press charges, he just goes to a different country. Well, that's what cuz in the Washington in, in the in the Washington I am not kidding. That is how he operates. In the Washington Post article I read about Steven Seagal and the allegations of sexual abuse, misconduct and predatory behavior. Oh, it's disgusting. It's and it had quote there are too many incidences to to name, right? There's like there's like literally like we couldn't fact check this yeah. because there are too many facts to check. And it is just absurd. And I mean, I so like Under Siege, Under Siege, good movie. No, it is a bad movie. It is a bad bad movie. It's right? a low quality film. Oh, absolutely. And, this, and it's and it's built on the template of a great one. Yes. So that makes it even harder to watch because you know where the good version of this movie exists yeah. and is just avoided there, at every turn. There's a kick-ass movie here. Like it's possible. Like I don't do it. Like I, I love me some diehards, right? Like I am up. I, I like, even like I, I, Tommy Lee Jones is enjoyable as the bad guy. He's, yeah, he's almost fine. he's a legit actor. No, there is yeah. there is some talent here. Yeah. There is some like fun that could have been had with all of this. But the fucking anchor of fucking of of misery. This 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 this. Of, like, like the inverse of personality. Oh my god! This suck. This horrible fucking vortex of just like blandness and vacuousness is in, at the center of this thing. It's absurd. It's fucking absurd. And then they keep making more of them. That's like, what these I, not are just some. These no, are, he makes on a minimum two movies a year, two a year. since eighty nine. He's been at it, but he so he must just have like a like a loyal following of i don't know people our dad's age that still watch this shit even if even if they don't the production values are such that you don't need to sell it to too many cable television channels mm-hmm. to justify putting in the time okay because okay. the money is absolutely not an issue well, in these films even in under siege there is so much stock footage there is so many bad explosions it's it's a credit to the amount of lying that a person can do in the world in this country and still succeed. No, I well, mean this is this is this is just like this is inexcusable that someone like this should be successful in our society. I mean there is no better argument for the fact that like like not only does he not have yeah, not only does he have no talent, he's also just a horrible person. Yes. I mean, it's just, oh, cool. I'm, that's I'm why sorry. he lives I'm in Russia now. I'm just flabbergasted. I've, well, that's good because that's actually sort of the attitude I want to take going through this film. Okay. Because there is. Quickly. We, quickly. We, look, we can. We don't have to spend nearly as much time on it as we did. I wanna, I'll be honest. Under Siege, like I get like a nostalgia tinge, but just because I remember watching it a lot as a kid. I mean, it's not. It's like, got the color palette you need. Yeah, like it's, it's there's like a there's like a hint of nostalgia there, but like beyond that, um. Like anything moving forward uh, is I, I, is very hard for me to watch. 
There's a term that comes up a lot, and it doesn't make any sense in the modern era, but the rose-tinted glasses mm -hmm. are a very real thing that the 80s of Seagal was aware of, even mm -hmm. though this film is technically 92, it looks exactly like an 80s film. And it was in the bleed over. Effectively. Um, these films are designed to have this haze. And it is present in every scene of this film, even from the very first stock footage, which is of the USS Missouri. Mm -hmm. um, none of the shots were of an actual boat. I'm sure that would have cost way too much. There's money. only three scenes in this. There's the okay. So we it take they take over a tanker. There's the tanker. There's like the room of guys that are at the headquarters, the command center, the command center and that's it. Like, that's the only locations in this whole thing. Look, you got to pay Steven Seagal somehow. Yeah. The, um, but the Missouri is brought in to give, the, <laughs> to give the grandiosity of this film, which it otherwise does not, literally does not have. Mm -hmm. I mean, Nicole, as you said, there are three sets. Yeah. Um, and then there is stock footage of the boat, and there's stock footage of the president. Yeah. And there is the military. And this is the first play, just immediately right off the bat, what does Die Hard have? The what does Bruce Willis have? Humble fucking beginnings. Mm -hmm. He's a New York cop. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's probably about to get divorced. He's down on his luck. We have no indication. Yeah, he's a real of, person. We have no indication of his skills. We have no idea what his past is actually like, other than that, you know, he doesn't seem to see eye to eye with his with um, his current wife. With with his jet setting yeah. lover. What does Casey Ryback? ex-Navy SEAL have, he has fucking everything right off the bat. Like, our protagonist is this international man of mystery. Mm -hmm. Just being protected by the captain of the Missouri and nobody knows. Just like, so right off the bat. Like, Seagal has already twist. We know exactly what formula he's going for and immediately he fails to understand. He, he builds the cargo cult version of this fantasy where... Bruce Willis has it within him because you know that as a Gen Xer slash baby boomer that he can get the fucking job done if he digs deep enough. Steven Seagal is just enough of a badass just right off the bat. And they don't they don't explicitly tell you that. They just hint at it because he's extremely cool and he doesn't wear a uniform all the time. And um, he does clapbacks and assaults officers and does all of this badass shit. But it's not in in the most very basic sense. It's unearned. Mm -hmm. He is he is literally born into his station through the script. Mm -hmm. The most boomer like quality of him. <laughs> and this is this is the theme well, this, this podcast I mean. needs to have because this is that that's why I like that's why I want to talk about this movie because there is the political tinge to the plot of this film is very telling. Like the way that it is constructed is incredibly telling of the people that this movie appeals to. Well, okay. it's, it's the virtue of living in a society uh, that is prospering despite your contributions to it, right? Like, yeah. like, like, <laughs> like, he's, like so many of the boomer and Gen X generation lived through such good times. That was not their fucking actual, like their, their actual fucking efforts brought it, brought it to that. And like the, this fucking asshole, this fucking creep, this, horrible person that is Steven Seagal, right? Like comes into the world by having a, a, a reasonably presentable face, which is by the way, by under siege already in decline. He yeah. is already getting ugly in this movie. And <laughs> yeah. there's just this, like the, the vanity of it all. 
Like he is just, you can tell and sense this fucking vain human that is being projected into this. And he can't even hide it through his acting, like his quote unquote. (laughs) No, there's no act. There's no like actual acting. He, like I said, he's, he's, he's about as expressive as a paper plate. So (laughs) so we're watching, you know, these scenes, these scenes just like come at you, right? Like he, like what he expresses is so like blase, um, the values that he purports, you know, he's like, we well, got to do what you got to do. And, you know, just like the, the, the fact that everything he feels is just that I've, I'm, I, I just do right just by the virtue of my actions. It's just un, unfucking real. And the, I mean, the, the worst thing about this is that it makes bad movies. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like there's mm-hmm. like that, the fact that it, it doesn't even contribute to something that is a raucous good time is somehow even more inexcusable to well, me and as then well. You, see, you know, so when you watch an action film, you expect your main character to have like a certain amount of plot armor, but you do still want to see them go through some adversity. Like Bruce Willis, like he doesn't make it through Die Hard unscathed. No. You know, like you're, no, you're he's torn to shit. At yeah, the end of that yeah. Movie. You know, you've, you're feeling something for him because you're like, I don't know, like maybe he's not going to succeed. Steven's every movie that Steven Seagal's in, he has it scripted around to the point where the plot armor is so thick, he does like nothing affects him. Like he never comes into any sort of actual peril. He never goes through any actual adversity. Um, and it like only gets worse and worse and worse moving on with Under Siege. Like with Under Siege, I think at one point he did scrape his shoulder. But you won't even see that moving forward in a Steven Seagal movie. Well, like, and, and here's the other thing: is that we never see it happen. Yeah, right? like the only adversity that he is affected. Right, there's this point in the movie where he's he's um, gotten on the wetsuit somehow, which is yeah. a plot that just fucking happens. Like, <laughs> yeah, in a he's just suit, in a wetsuit all, all of a sudden. Stupid. So he's had to like <laughs> he's, he's like swimming beside the submarine that's there to, to fucking haul off these n- nuclear missiles they're taking from the plot device. There, <laughs> and he's like just bombed it. And as he's trying to like swim around the bad guys, like once again, all he's doing is just swimming to around a boat. Yeah. That these guys are trying, they're throwing these hooks off the, they're throwing the like side. an anchor off the side. Yeah. And then it just always see that he's actually been, you know, in, in peril is that one of the guys pulls up a little ripped piece of fucking, you don't Wetsuit. even see it happen. Yeah. Because any other time he's put in danger, it's his physical person that's in danger. And if we see Steven Seagal on screen, he cannot be harmed. No, like this is the rules of a Steven it's, Seagal. Yeah, it, no, it is. It is. It is like the golden rule of a Steven Seagal it's movie. Unreal. Yeah, and to get to the part that we are talking about right now doesn't actually take very much time. The setup, as every action movie has, it's got about twenty minutes of just sort of back burner dreck. Yeah, that mm-hmm. isn't exciting. Yeah, um, and even even taken the archetype. It's got, it's, got, it's got 15 minutes that it's, needs to go. It's just got it. They got to get a yeah. better editor in there. They need to get, they need to fire the person who thinks we care that they have daughters. Like we don't, it's fine. It's fi- We get it. All right. We know what we're here for. Steven Seagal wants you, however, to know before he reveals that he's a badass, that he's a cool guy. And how does he do that? Punches Commander Krill, played by a post-motorcycle accident Gary Busey, who I looked at his filmography to see if maybe that there's literally no indication that that occurred to him in 1988 based on his filmography. It is one a year. Mm-hmm. One a year. Consistent. Bam, 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 okay. bam, bam. Okay. Straight through massive 
possibly fatal trauma. Um, and he yeah, he's he's okay in the way that he is in every movie yeah, he's ever in. Yeah, he's Busey. Yeah, he, he plays type. Um, there's a black guy named Q-Ball who is there so that... Oh, um, my God. So that Seagal can literally point at him and be like, Hey, hey I'm a cool guy. Q-Ball. <laughs> Amazingly awful in a way that I'm sure he would still do today. Like, I don't think that has changed over the course of uh, over the course of the last couple of decades. There's an incredibly banal captain who you need for the sake of respect. Yeah. Someone who can actually be respected, unlike the authority of Captain or uh, Commander Krill, who cannot be respected on account of him clearly being a bad guy. Yes. Like that's that's basically the difference between these two people. Well, and a sexual deviant, right? Like and a sexual deviant. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I was I would have actually glossed over that if you had mentioned it, but we'll get to that in just a second. Uh, he gets in he gets in a fist fight and a loot. I mean, every scene with Steven Seagal involves either a knife or beating someone up. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. every single one of them. But in a very specific way, because uh, Seagal is stationary as the offending person comes at them. Yeah, at that, him. that must be an Aikido thing. It's an Aikido. No, it's directly an Aikido thing because his particular flavor of martial arts is where someone comes at you with a knife and then you take their wrist and like deflect. Now, Nicole, would that be the wrist that has a hand and a knife attached to it? Yeah. Yeah. Naturally. Yeah, yeah. Naturally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, from what I can tell from Aikido, there is no other, um, other kind of movements in that particular martial art. There's definitely no ground game. There's no takedowns. I don't even think there's kicks. <laughs> do the, they, they do wear those baggy pants though. Seagal oh. certainly does not kick yeah. in this film. Yeah. In his most spry form. And like I said, in Aikido, it's a very specific way that your opponent has to be coming at you f- to to set up all the movements. Excellent. And yeah. every everyone approaches him in this way. Yes. Uh, he gets locked in a meat locker. A helicopter full of hoodlums show up, one of which is Tommy Lee Jones, another one of which is Miss July 89, played yes. by Erica Eleniak. And boy, she's as, she is as late 80s, early 90s as you would expect a Playboy pinup to be. Holy shit, Whew. yeah. No. She I is, can't believe people thought that was attractive at what? any point. I mean, she's attractive, but that that's not... That haircut is not helping. Not the haircut, but no. like everything else is yeah, fine. It's, it's, yeah. As the person straddling the difference between the... I can respect it. The um, But she's there for no reason other than being touched by Steven Seagal. Mm-hmm. She serves no other purpose in the plot. Um, on the other hand, Tommy Lee Jones serves the purpose of hamming it up, and uh, he's he's okay at that, he's fine. which is no credit to anyone who was involved in directing or casting. Like he's no, he, they just lucked out and had a relatively decent actor, yeah, uh, they, cast for that role. They're a good guy cast for that. Yeah, as you said, there's a good movie here somewhere. Yeah, there is. No, right. Tommy Lee Jones is absolutely in a good version of this film. Mm-hmm. Um, he would be in the cast, and he shows up as Bad Billy uh, with his band, the Bail Jumpers. Which almost immediately turns into, I mean, it just, it does this incredibly nauseating winking and nodding about oh, like yeah. the, the themes and all the ways in which he is clearly just hinting that he's about to do something evil. And then it g- results in the longest twist in film history. So <laughs> it takes them 15 minutes to take over this boat. And I will grant you, taking over a battleship would take a long time. Yeah. But the way in which they choose to demonstrate that this is happening 
is so boring yeah. <laughs> and sucks so like it's just not fun to watch. And this is one of the weirdest things about this movie is that it, it gets along. I, I love the concept of cargo cultism. Like I think it's a fascinating phenomenon for those of you who need a slight primer on that. Um, there was, I, I, I want to say it was in Indonesia. Um, the uh, U.S. supply planes were coming over during one war or another. It's who yeah. who can tell anymore. Yeah. Um, they were dropping off supplies at airstrips. Okay, and uh, the plane stopped coming at some point because, at least, this is what the people who uh, on the ground, ground maybe thought about this. Um, there were no air traffic controllers to tell them where the airstrips were. So, when the U.S. left. In order to keep getting these supplies, because the natives like supplies. Yeah, who doesn't? They pretended to be air traffic controllers, and they set up terminals, and they just made all the things that it looked like what the Americans were using to attract the planes. Yes. And this story is almost certainly apocryphal, but it's beautiful because it describes so many animal and human interactions of imitation where someone attempts to get something, but doesn't understand why the person they're imitating, why they're doing that to why, what, what is the underlying cause? And Steven Seagal is guilty of this over and over (laughs) again in this film. Um, the, they have to take over this boat and you have to, you know, they have to round up like 50 some odd people to make it work. And what is his model? It's diehard. Because they come in, the, the bad guys come in literally, they come in through the front door in, ba- in, uh, well, in Die Hard. Well, everyone's in one spot for a party. In one spot for a party. Yeah. Yep. Um, but in the case of Nakatomi Plaza, A, they had Alan Rickman, yes. which also helped. But the, the team, the team is systematic in a sweep. Yes. Whereas in they, they literally, they start at the ground floor and they just go through the building and yes. contain everything. Whereas... In this case, they, whoever the hell wrote this, it wasn't actually Steven Seagal. I think it's like no, based he, on a book I, or I'm pretty sure he doesn't know how to read or write. <laughs> uh, he's he's an author of several novels. He'll have you know. Um, yeah, and a blues album. Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> oh, but he um, <sighs> but they have to go to the trouble of explaining how this group of somewhere between twenty and eight hundred mercenaries took over this boat and it's boring. Like they spent so long doing it because these are all military. And it people. almost starts seeming preposterous. Cause you're like, okay, so like all of these highly skilled people that have the capacity to take over like a military carrier are all like posing as a hippie band and all got together and are like, you know, they're like, oh yeah, well we're all like the catering crew. Like there's a, there's too many of them to fucking fit on the goddamn helicopter to begin with. Yeah. And I, I, I just like, I don't even understand how the, you could have coordinated all these people anyways. Dude, this dude lays out, like, Steven Seagal lays out the bodies in this thing, right? Like b- dropping fools like nobody's business. And there are still a lot of them, yeah. like all <laughs> over the place, yeah. like aerial shots. It's like a fucking ant colony. Watching yeah. Me. What the fuck? Yeah, that's the part that he combines with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yes. Yeah, who is yeah. okay killing as many many people as humanly possible. In Die Hard, there really there's only like 
eight or nine murders. Yeah. They're only, yeah. they're only, a well, and they don't keep like throwing more people on set once those ones run out. Where in this one, they kind of do. Yeah. To a, certain a little extent. bit. A little bit. They, I mean, they all had names. Yeah. In Die Hard. Yeah. They do not have names in this film. Yeah. It was, well, it was a tight knit group. Like they were operating as a team. Like this, there's just fucking people all over, like that obviously are really skilled in specific things. Yeah, and there are only there are only like three that anyone could possibly give a shit about. One is just a direct copy of the black nerd who opens the safe in Die Hard. Yeah, um, there is uh, Colmini is completely abused, and I will not count him in this group. Like he's like he's fine. He does his job perfectly fine, but he's given absolutely nothing to work yeah, with. Yeah, he's basically like the accountant. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones's character again. Um, what William Stranix? He's I, he's one of the best things in the film, and uh, in particular, this is the thing that was buried in here that I actually really wish more supervillains did a better job with in more films and wish it hadn't been in this film. Uh, he has this constant fear that things are going to fuck up, mm-hmm. and I really do appreciate that in any other film. Well, but here's the thing. like The, 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 perf- the performances, especially of the two main baddies, which are Gary Busey and Tommy Lee Jones, Two of, of famously the most potentially unhinged baddies you could get in a movie mm-hmm. are really poorly done, right? And I think the reason is very clear, which is that, right, the same way that Steven Seagal would never accept to be seen as having lost the upper hand in any sort of direct physical confrontation in a film he is in, he also cannot stand having someone do better than him in a movie, right? Perform better than him in a movie, be more charismatic than him in a movie. And it wouldn't surprise me that like he fucking like, like brought down the performances, right? Like intentionally fucking sabotaged the quality of their performances in order to to fucking make himself look better in this movie because he couldn't have these guys do better, be better bad guys at their job in this in this film. Well, in the way that they do that is of course one of the <laughs> the more generically despicable ways they possibly can, which shows up in the next scene, which is probably the best one in the film. When uh Stranix gets on the horn with Admiral Bates in the war room, uh Admiral Bates played by um I don't know who the actor is, but he's doing his absolute best Robert McNamara. Um, <laughs> that is that is true. Yes. <laughs> that is exactly that is, who. Yeah. Casting, I'm sure, just looked at a bunch of portraits yep. and saw that guy and said, "He's from the TV," and <laughs> put him put him in there. Um, and this scene is only good because William Stranix, Tommy Lee Jones's role in this scene is to seem unhinged, mm-hmm. like that's his job because he is actually insane. Yeah, yes. um, <laughs> which you know, whatever. We've already given credit where it was due for. Jones's performance here. Um, all of the military MacGyvering that's happening in the background, it's like, that's that's like number two behind a court scene yeah. is to have the war room. Yeah. You know, if you need gravitas in your movie for free, mm-hmm. like any any anyone can write a war room scene. Yeah. Yeah. It requires no logic. It requires no like plot or intrigue there. It, it's so easy to make it seem important. And uh, they do. So uh, they read off, you know, they, they there's launch codes and a bunch of other, but none of that, none of that's important. What do we learn from this scene? We learn that Tommy Lee Jones is a cool guy. Yes. We learn that he's cool. You know who else is cool? Casey Ryback's cool. Uh, Steven Seagal is uh, cool. 
How do we know that? I'm going to skip to the end of this movie because literally from here on out, this movie is not even worth talking about. Unbelievable. I have I have 10 bullet points here and they all, they're just totally uninteresting. They get to the very end of the movie and the moral that Jones attempts to throw on to the end that Steven Seagal even tosses this away is that they're not so different. You, we're not so different. You <laughs> yeah. and, and the only thing that differentiates the psychopathic murderer from badass cool guy Steven Seagal who gets the girl is that one of them has faith and the other doesn't. Steven Seagal denies this difference. We're talking about basically just faith in the military structure. Or or whatever. Yeah. And again, Seagal rebukes it. He yeah. denies this. Yeah. So what Seagal is saying yes. in this scene, and this is it's interesting because this actually this this ties into our our favorite oblique but never direct reference on this uh podcast. Uh Jordan Peterson is a huge fan of the concept of embracing the monster inside you yeah. for the purpose, you know, for whatever purpose you need in your heroic story. Cause yes. you, you, you need some amount of bite in order to fight back. And I, I won't contend that with that particular premise. Here's the problem when it's turned up to 11. Yes. Uh, when you turn it into cheesecake, the way that Seagal does in this movie, Seagal does not believe there is a philosophical difference between him as the good guy and Tommy Lee Jones as the bad guy in terms of temperament, in terms of philosophy, in terms of history. Mm -hmm. They are both ex, either CIA or Navy SEAL people. Yeah, they're ex-spooks. Yeah, they're ex-spooks. They're great with knives. They have witty banter. The hero and the villain are indistinguishable from one Mm -hmm. another. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's really telling because <laughs> that's that's a fucking problem. Yeah. Somewhere along the line. Well, and see, it goes and totally unnoticed mm-hmm. within the film. And that's you never have that kind of there's never that kind of ambiguity with like Bruce Willis and Die Hard. Like you know like you know that he's the there like there's something that separates Bruce Willis from whoever the bad guy is. Yeah, there's there's a difference in confidence, yes. there's a difference in capacity. There there are differences. Yeah. And look, I don't... In, in basic human fucking decency. <laughs> yeah, right yeah. Now, Like, there's a difference. Yeah. And I don't want to give Bruce Willis a complete pass because he did redo the Death Wish movie. Yes. <laughs> he's made some shit movies, too. But, you know, like everyone has. But he's, he's emblematic of the redeemable side of this incredible psychosis yes. that just pervades this film. Well, no, but the... Like, so... The notion that there is a kind of, of, of moral reasoning behind the swaggering patriarchal bravado of like these types of films is that, you know, at, at their core, right. It's a message of like standing up for yourself, standing up for what's right. Yeah. You know, there, and at least, and at least, you know, like, like we hear from, you know, Walter Solchek in, in, in big Lebowski, at least it's an ethos. Yeah. Right. Whereas this like bizarre, you know, no labels, bro kind of approach of like Steven Seagal in this movie is that you know this like wanting desire to eat have his cake and eat it too because in the in the contracted to kill movie he's both a ruthless mercenary for good who of course was also a member of the CIA and, and the DEA, DEA apparently yeah. at the same time yeah mm-hmm. he couldn't decide which cool organization that he wanted to be a part of so, so yeah. he just picked two both yes yeah. it's the same way too that like you know in today's world right like so much of conservatism today 
paints itself as this kind of like victim, right? Where like, you know, suddenly like cops, police officers are like these kind of like rebelistic kind of people, you know, like they're, they're the rebels now, you know, like they're the ones who were put upon. They're the ones under attack in our society. Well, actually, mm -hmm. no, 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 I was saying that's, that's the mechanism by which they achieved. Yeah, exactly. They said, they said, well, actually, and just spun the argument around. Indeed. Rather than being the mechanism of fucking, you know, like fascistic government control, which, which they are right. Yeah. Like, no, no, like we're, we're both rebels and, 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 and victims yeah, and victims. Right. Yeah. And like, and, and of course, the standing up for the authority as it should be. And the kind of like the moral hypocrisy of this, I mean, is something that is just clearly not dawned onto anybody, right? Like when you talk about like chauvinism, right? Like I cannot find better examples of chauvinism than like these, than what these pretend to fucking purport, right? Oh like, no, it's, it's horrible. And this one, it, oh, the way it, you know, because when he first meets the girl, obviously he doesn't want to drag her along. So he locks her in a locker. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And then, like, when she's too loud and going to give up their location, she, he decides to to bring her along. But she, like, literally becomes, like, the most, like, agreeable, like, oh, I'll do anything you say, Mr. Seagal. Like, each scene, it's, like, more and more to the point where he's got her carrying all the equipment. Yeah. Yeah. Which which they they mentioned to essentially no effect. Yeah. Like yeah. she's like, why am I carrying all this stuff? Wah, 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 yeah. wah, wah. And actually, that does bring up one. There is one great thing that happens in between the middle and end of this film, and it is right after Seagal decides that he's going to bring Jordan Tate along. He explains what semi-automatic means oh, to God. her. Oh, he he does some good mansplaining. It, it's the most it. it this doesn't really qualify as man's. I would be fine believing that the average person doesn't know what semi-automatic mm -hmm. means. It is the specific delivery that is so beautiful. He he starts He starts in the middle of the paragraph about the concept of the of uh, the battery of arms, and goes. This is an MP5. This is a switch. This is a mode selector on the side of an MP5. It's got automatic and semi-automatic. That means it fires one. He's he's in the middle of a conversation in his head, and he's relaying half of it to her. Yes. And this is the this is such a quintessentially dude ass thing to do. Like guys do this to each other. Okay. Like this does actually. It's it's worse. Again, it's it's not that there's no mansplaining going on. Every other line he says in the movie is yeah. essentially mansplaining to her. Um, but she's just eating it up in the end, it's though. So like, <laughs> it's such a perfect, it, and it, it it happens every time. I mean, Ryan, no offense, but I mean, any time a guy brings a girl to the range, yes, this is the way the conversation happens because guys just literally don't understand what they're talking about. Yeah. They are they're trying to convey something they think is cool to someone who does not, not think it's yeah, cool. Yeah. And they just don't understand how to do that. No, and it's it's funny too cuz like you like you just want to teach like the most core principles of what's going on but the idea that you'd get like sucked into the vernacular of it is yeah. like what's <laughs> fucking so mansplaining about it, you know? Yeah. Like when I had that experience it was like, look, just hold on very tight and point down range and breathe and squeeze and you'll and we'll just go from here, right? Like yeah. just fucking jump in. Like yeah. just jump in. Like see what it's like. It'll be okay. But just like you always keep a point downwards. Just breathe. Hold on. You'll be fine. And it's just cow, cow, cow. And like the the notion though that this film 
has these like that it pretends to some kind of like realism, right? Like there's this thing about it where it's like, you know, it has to both be like fucking fantastic and realistic at the same time. I mean, Die Hard never kind of falls into this trap, right? Like every little set piece of like his like mission impossible esque Mm -hmm. situation that he has to get out of always requires some sort of like sly piece of ingenuity, but they can even be bought. Like his big plan in this that we're seeing right now is literally just to make a bomb swim and drop it on the submarine. Like, that is his plan. The fourth bomb he's made so far. Yes, exactly. And it's like, there's no fucking... I mean, this is the real... Once again, they're not even interesting. These are supposed to be like tomahawk missiles. Like, oh yeah, he just knows how to, like, tear these things apart. No, the second they throw military decorum into the scene, they give up entirely on suspense. Yeah. Like, there's a a scene where... And almost every scene can be accused of this. Um, There's no no tension to the timing or anything. They just... Because they're they're so interested simply in the fact that the military's involved. An F-18 flies by... And uh, a uh, what a phalanx turret locks onto it and blows it up. Yeah, it's the least interesting yeah. airplane mishap mm-hmm. of all time. Mm-hmm. Two Tomahawk missiles shoot off of this plane, and a, a plane shoots one of them down. Yeah, with no fanfare, and then they just disarm the other one. Mm-hmm. And there's no commentary here about the no. coldness of signals intelligence. There's nothing behind any of this just blandness. It's just, it's so poorly constructed that they, they, they say, oh, military stuff is cool and call it a day. Well, yeah. this is the thing too, is that there's never, like the, the purported reason why he would disagree, right? Or why he would, why Tommy Lee Jones says, well, you've got faith in the system. He's like, no, I don't. He's like, dude, you're fucking spook. Like, you're a goddamn Navy SEAL. Like, yeah. all you do is stand up for the system. And it's like, no, right? Like, this, there's this, there's this underlying horseshit hypocrisy of this where, like, you know, and this is, I think maybe we need to transition to Contracted to Kill because we've got to get to this fucking movie for a little bit, right? Like, there's this idea through it that only the people that are, that this movie appeals to feel that they know what's right in all things, right? Like when it comes to politics, when yeah. it comes to like how the government should be run, right? How you like, should change your oil in your car. Like <laughs> how you should shoot a fucking gun. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like they know what's best. Yeah. And the kind of, like I said, the, the chauvinism of that is what's so fucking striking behind this. And so when we get, to, by the time you advance, was like 26 years to contract or 23 years to contract to kill, right? Steven Seagal has like bloated himself to the point where he no longer even He's represents like, the physic, the, 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 physical nature that he once had. I mean, this guy was conceivably good at something yeah. at some point during the He was the good 80s. at a bullshit martial art. Sure. Sure. He was con- he was probably good at this. Yeah. Now that by now, he has lost any sort of discipline in maintaining himself. Oh, God, yeah. He has lost any sort of pretense that he is going to involve himself in something that required the time, effort, and knowledge of quality. He has lost any sort of semblance of accepting who he is. And he's never tried to get any better at this particular uh, art. No. Yeah. It's just been, I mean, it is a long steady decline of which under siege has already begun. Mm -hmm. And when we get, by the time we get to contracted to kill, you know, it's a foreign made movie. It is entirely housed in like, you know, Romania shot in Romania. Yeah. You know, with um, about a cast of four people houses. Yes. Yeah. And these things like string, this thing has literally been just woven together. 
Uh, and it is, it just, and there's no act. Well, that one gets great because there's not even money for stunts or action. So it, the entire movie works through like a 10 minute section of exposition and then like no action. And then a 10 minute exposition of what's supposed to happen. And then like a shot of a drone. And David, how, how does exposition happen in these later movies contracted to kill. I'm glad you asked. So I was going to preface this conversation with a description of what happens in contract to kill. I'm going to do my best okay. based on my two viewings of this film, which, Oh my God, which, what? you did it twice. Oh yeah, Absolutely. Which for the record, I do believe in the, in the, in the sense that it, it, following the Austin Walker school, that there is no difference. There's no water between the best film and your favorite film. Okay. Contract to Kill is better than Under Siege. I find it much more entertaining to watch. Um, I'm going to try to explain what happened to Contract to Kill. So Lay it on us. there's a, a Mexican cartel and they're trying to set up a deal to get an ISIS terrorist into the United States over the Mexican border. Okay. Um, if you try, if, if I try to explain any more of this plot, it will just fall apart. Okay. Like that's as, that's as close to the real. Th- oh, and of course they have to bring, they have to bring in their uh, CIA DEA agent. I don't even know the guy's name. I watched the film two times. Steven Seagal. Yeah. They should have just called him Steven Seagal. <laughs> they, I don't know they why they gave him the name. They might have gotten to that point. Um, <laughs> They have to call him in for one last job because uh, he's busy. John they, Harmon. John Harmon. John Harmon. What a bad wow. name. What a bad name. He, um, he, he's busy dating a can't-be-more-than-22-year-old woman uh, in a youngest, bar somewhere. The youngest woman they could find who would allow him to put hands on her. Yeah. Oof. And she isn't even the last in that film. Oh, my God. No, so then he has to put a team together, which is another really young woman. Yes. Um, and it's of real, no discernible skills. It's real <laughs> ambiguous as to what her skills are. Um, Where she comes from, who she is. Yeah. And then a, a guy that operates a drone. Oh, best scene in the mill. Okay. In so, the movie by far. Let me just real quick here. All right. So the third person of this team is Matthew Wong. Uh, uh, Russ, excuse me, Russell Wong. Russell Wong. Yeah, his character's name is uh, Matthew Sharp. And he is a drone expert, purportedly. Uh, yeah, even though he draw, he, even though the only drones he has are the size of Volkswagens made out of PVC. But I, I digress. Um, so just to kind of once again, I think once again, what is the kind of mindset of like people who work on a Steven Seagal movie? Allow me to read the first sentence of Russell Wong, Russell Wong's INDB uh, biography. Russell Wong has earned a reputation as a sexy, charismatic leading man whose good looks are matched by his skills as an actor. Mm-hmm. That is his, this is the first sentence of his biography on IMDb. And I have to say that is the most Seagal-like, <laughs> the most Seagal-like sentence I've ever read in my life. He knows how to find them. No doubt. So we've been complaining the entire time about how shitty a movie under siege is contract to kill is shittier in every possible dimension but in some ways that does make it a better movie because (laughs) it it can be enjoyed and it, it is being enjoyed ironically and i understand that there are some problems with that but when you know what you're in for and you know that that is in fact the way to appreciate a film you can come to appreciate sequences such as the reveal of the drone expert, mm-hmm. where a <laughs> eight rotor yes. copter yes. with a 
assault rifle. Yes. Just Dangling. welded to the bottom of a it. A bullpup. Yeah, it's like a fucking bullpup Steyr like fucking assault rifle. Yeah, it's a, a, a dangling was, underneath was, this thing. I was I was trying not to do the gun porn mansplain there. It is a FAMAS. Oh, um oh, okay. Oh, it's very, hanging. Uh, <laughs> I was trying not to do it. Um, <laughs> it's just hanging off this drone at a 30-degree angle, pointing at the ground. Mm-hmm. And the movie is so confused about like timing composition. Mm-hmm. That the scene is not tense. Mm-hmm. There's a gun flying around <laughs> in the scene. Seagal looks up and sees it. She's the, like, oh, look, there's a gun on that thing. Yeah, there's a gun on that thing. Look out. Don't worry about it. It mm-hmm. just f- it flies around for a while. It looks around, shoots a car. It explodes. Mm-hmm. And then they meet the mm-hmm. guy. Yeah. And it's completely tension-free. Yeah. And just... the. The lack of skill it takes to make that scene as chill as it is, is something. Like, anyone could make that scene work except Seagal. Yes. Um, he, has enter- he entered into a different realm. And the exposition, which we were alluding to. Yeah. Every time something needs... We, we harp a lot on this podcast about showing and not telling. Yes. Nothing is shown in that movie. No. No, no. no one shows anything. No, no emotions. <laughs> No acting ability. I mean, sometimes you see the drone taking off, but then you never actually understand why it's important for any of the scenes anyways. It, yeah, well, and they're, they're just baffling plot holes in the yeah. way this drone is applied. They say Intel a lot, you know? Like, it's like a movie where they're just like, Intel, 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 yeah. Intel, bad Intel. And like, well, there's not, is there anything Well, else? it's just like the female lead where Seagal's always just like, you know, I need you to do what you do best. Yeah. Which and is talk. Yeah. Like literally everyone else in the film. That's she, all they do. She does look good in a dress. I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, was, I mean, I'll be honest, like from what I've seen from these Steven Seagal movies, they have a surprising amount of very attractive women in them. I um, mean, I will just say that. And I, I don't well, know. They, I, and they, I, they end up with a surprising amount of lawsuits afterwards. I'm I not think. saying it's a good thing that, yeah. that this happens. <laughs> I'm just simply stating some objective man-like facts here. Well, it, it's also when, when casting is given one criteria, it's pretty <laughs> easy to cast for the one thing you're looking for. You get, please get the hottest woman who has never researched anything yeah. on the internet about Who Steven will Seagal. say yes. yes. Yeah. yeah, and uh, that's, that's what he did. And that film um, that film is atrocious, and you should not give Google money for it. It's no. not on Amazon. No, we, we've already made that mistake for you. Yeah. 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 No, I, I've spent $12 doing research for this. And, and uh, I feel terrible for you. No, I don't. I feel good about it at all. <laughs> um, as much as I did enjoy my time with Contract to Kill, uh, he doesn't deserve the money. So Yeah. Um, Damn it. So that's enough. That's enough of a palate cleanser from Barry Lyndon, I think. I think that's. I miss Barry Lyndon even more. It's it's good. I might I might reindulge, but in the yeah. meantime, uh, today is February first, so it is the beginning of Black History Month here in America. Our one concession to Black people in a historical context. That's right. So, what better way to um, exploit the existence of this month than to go on a woke rampage? That's right. Woo-hoo. That's right. Uh, I don't think we've decided which film we're going to do we're, first. Yeah, we're tossing around. Uh, we've got some ideas, but we haven't we haven't settled yet. I think what we broadly came up with was a kind of like you know broad historiography, if you. Yeah, will, we right? were going to take like a seventies, nineties, and current 90s today kind of approach. Yeah. I think that's the best. We'll way get to a go. little. We'll get like a, a good spread. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the seventies coming out of the civil rights movement, mm-hmm. giving enough people cameras at low enough prices 
started mm. getting movies. What what are some of the movies that we're going to look so at from the, from the 70s? 70s I wanted to either cover Superfly, which uh which is about a drug dealer and it's important because it's the first time that the drug dealer superseded the pimp mm-hmm. as the pinnacle of like black success. That or Claudine, which is about a black woman on welfare with seven children. Mm-hmm. Very good, very good. Where does that take us in the 90s? So I purported that we do Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing, which apart from being fucking a, a great, great movie. great movie. I've um, heard of that one. Yeah, no, yeah. it's fucking really good. Um, it also has a lot of great fucking... It, I mean, it is a movie, quote unquote, about racial issues, right? Like, and that, I, I, mean, I hate, I don't want to like necessarily view it as such, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, there's... Well, that's what I mean. In the, my two movies, they're not necessarily about racial issues, but they're just kind of entrenched in that culture at the time. Like, well, it's not like, oh, we're projecting these issues. It's just like, we're kind of like in how, we're, we're like in the middle of how these people are are living at that current time. Well, and I think too that, you know, finding films made by, by, uh, you know, by black people, I think would be important as well. And I think that that is something, you know, to bring into the discussion as well. And Mm -hmm. I said, do the right thing. Once again, being about racial tensions is not like, I think it has other dimensions and, uh, it's very, like I said, it's It's a good movie. It's a great movie. Um, and then I think moving up towards later today, Dave, do you have some perspective on that? Yeah, there's, there, there've been a handful. Uh, I, I have to take other people's word for it, but in this particular case, I'm, I'm willing to, I'm willing to believe them. Uh, quite a few movies have been coming out that are reasonably good for the time. And we, I mean, I don't want to necessarily compare Black Lives Matter to the civil rights movement, but uh, it seems appropriate in this particular instance. These are very Black Lives Matter movies. Okay. Um, okay. That that specific cultural note seems to pervade the, their existence now as opposed to, say, 10 years ago. Um Movies like Get Out, movies like Sorry to Bother You, mm-hmm. uh, Black Klansman, <laughs> which I don't think we're going to get to in that particular set. Um, but I mean, it, it's this. This was actually, um, truth be told, the reason we're talking about this right now um, is I, I want an excuse to actually see all those movies because okay. I keep yeah. I keep being told these are great movies. Yeah, and I aside from Get Out, I have not seen Black Klansman or the other Sorry one. To Sorry to you. bother you. And so. I, I've heard they're all very good. Yeah. So I definitely want to dive into that now yeah. that I have a perfectly good excuse to do so. Well, and I think too, there's a good argument to be made that there's kind of like cultural peaks of what we're seeing here yeah. too, which is that you know back in the seventies. You know, with disco, the advent of, of hip hop culture, there was and, like a specific type of a type of like style that mm-hmm. went with that. Where and, I, and I think that that kind of like brings us in, and once again, as people, because you know, I mean, who better to discuss you know the history of black cinema than a couple of affluent white people yeah, in, in yeah, Florida? Yeah. And who else is going to do it? Exactly. Well, that, if yeah. not us, who? Ryan? Exactly. So I think, but as well, right? Like I, we don't come at it. You know, I mean, I, I I like it. I enjoy it. I I don't have. I don't. More importantly, I never feel I have to apologize for liking it. Yeah. Uh, and being who I am, and I want to take a, a, a and and view those and going from the seventies and you know the late eighties, early nineties is another. Well, there's like, not really the eighties is kind of like a whole, but then no, no, like by, with late, by the late eighties, early nineties, I think there's like a, a really wide range of. You know, um, of John Singleton, of well, the that, Hughes well, brothers, that's what I mean. Of, yeah. The early '90s, you start picking it up again, and yeah, you've got the yeah, the Hughes brothers. We didn't even mention them. Yeah, absolutely. They're great. And there's a kind of like from like '88 to '95. There's a yeah. very cool, crucial period of a lot of black cinema uh, made by black uh, mm-hmm. directors, first time black directors yeah. as well. And um, it's fucking enjoyable and it's interesting. And I think to kind of go through those and 
Because I, I believe it or not, I've made a list of them. I've fucking seen all of them. Like like New Jack Cities and Menace <laughs> to Society and shit. Oh, like, yeah. Like, fucking, I've seen all of these movies. CB40. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I've seen all these movies. And um, and then now I think that too, like you mentioned with Black Lives Matter, um, there was kind of, I don't want to say like a dearth because there was obviously good stuff being made between, you know, 95 and... But now but I'm not, I would contend that on a very basic cultural level, but yeah. we'll probably get into that. But now I think I'd too, have to do a little research and 9-11 Bill Clinton. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, but there's kind of like a resurgence among like African, uh, uh, African-American culture about their place and issues in our society. And there's a lot of social um, move, uh, you know, discussion and movement on this topic as well. And I think that that brings a relevance to the discussion also. And I'm just fucking excited. I'm excited to talk about it. I'm excited to see what they're like now after not having seen some of these movies in 15, 20 years. Or yeah. So, and some of them, in, the, in, in which case, not seen at all. I, I will bring no faux apologia to this. Um, I w- want to see some black films because mm-hmm. um, I haven't seen all that many of fucking them. Fucking A, man. And there's no yeah. other reason you need it than that. Yeah. I like jazz. <laughs> Jazz is awesome. Yeah, I used to like blues until I found out Steven Seagal thought thought he liked it. So now I'm fucking <laughs> gonna question myself on that front as well. Oh, I don't think I said this yet. Fuck Steven Seagal. But what anyway, the fuck that. He's not, a piece, he's not a piece of shit. Steven Seagal is a man-sized composed amalgamation pile of fucking shittiness. Fuck that guy. Yeah, that's probably a good enough note to end on. Uh, Ryan has stood up. We're gonna play some Imperial 2030 here. Good times, Nicole. David. Ryan. Thanks for being part of the Machination Log. Good morning, everyone.